0: A very warm welcome to the Cyber Scotland podcast. My name is Mike Smith. I'm the Incident Response and Threat Intelligence Manager at the Cyber and Fraud Centre. It's great to be able to present this podcast today. I'm going to be discussing incident response, taking you through incident response from a few angles. Firstly, the services provided by the Cyber and Fraud Centre. A bit of background, the expectations of uh, organisations should they call. The resources available through the Cyber Scotland Partnership and the Cyber and Fraud Centre. Then from a post-incident perspective, we'll be talking through the process of incident response following incident, what a business should expect if they're to involve one of our incident response cadre and just how that looks. To do this and talk through the process from a private incident response company's uh, point of view or perspective, I'm going to be joined by David Brown, who is a Senior Cyber Incident Response Team Consultant at the NCC Group. So firstly, David, thanks very much for coming along today and supporting the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming along to support this podcast and give us an industry angle on what a company or an organisation might expect if, if they were to deploy a private incident response company. I understand that incidents will be different, but uh, we'll just go through essentially the incident response stages and what it is that uh, yourself, your team at NCC can support an organisation with. So before I delve into the post-incident discussion I'm going to have with David in a bit, I thought I'd explain a bit more about the services provided by the Cyber and Fraud Centre and the Incident Response Line. The Incident Response Services provided by the Cyber and Fraud Centre are a joint venture between Police Scotland, Scottish Government and ourselves, obviously. And there are three strands to the work uh, that I do in relation to incident response. These include the management of the incident response line and calls to it and speaking to callers. Management of the incident response cadre members and management of the incident response support content that's on the Cyber Scotland Partnership website. So firstly, I mentioned the incident response line. Uh, there is a number that you can call, 0800 1670623. 0800 1670 The organisations can call if they think they've been the victim uh, or of, of a cyber incident or are or, or, or going through a cyber incident. Calls to the incident response line are varied. We have had business email compromise incidents. We have had ransomware incidents, uh, DDoS, and we also receive calls from individuals. Whilst this essentially is a a, a business support line, uh, we'll we'll do what we can to support individuals who, again, are having uh, online or or, or going through a cyber incident. So I staff this incident response line along with some of the ethical hackers from Abertay. We provide support for callers. Now, if it's a low-level incident and it's something that can be dealt with by way of advice and guidance, we'll do that. Uh, Speak to the caller on the phone. Uh, We'll follow up with emails and we'll follow the NCSC guidance In uh, terms of uh, cyber security and redirect, there's also the Cyber Scotland Partnership website that has lots and lots of information. So if a serious or ongoing incident, that's when we move up a notch and I would advise contact with one of our incident response cadre members. So these are uh, trusted organisations with full accreditation who are able to support an organisation going through one of the well, one of the incidents that I mentioned earlier it could be a ransomware incident, for example. So they're Scottish-based companies, and they will work with the organisation to, uh, to to get to a recovery phase. We don't recommend any one cadre member over another. We just supply a list of uh, those who are on our list. So at that point we would then hand the calling company over to our incident response cadre member and they would then have a relationship from from then on. That's not to say that we wouldn't support organisations afterwards, we don't walk away from them. We have a lot of companies thereafter that we support, we give advice for staff, there's senior management level training that we can provide. There's staff training that we can provide, for example, exercise in a box, and then we also have contacts and relationships with Police Scotland, Scottish Government. Uh, so, for example, if there was a, a multi-agency meeting that was required, we could uh, get the correct organisations around the table to support callers to the incident response line. So I just mentioned the incident response cadre a second ago, and this takes me on to the the second point that I mentioned at the start. Uh, I manage this incident response cadre and those organisations who are there to support callers uh, and those in need of incident response. So these businesses are accredited in incident response or possibly digital forensics. And as I said earlier, they will support a business uh, through the, the, the second and last stages as they move towards recovery. So on the website, there is a checklist how to prepare your business for an incident. There's an emergency contact template. There's incident response communication templates. And there's also some uh, documentation on the legal implications of a cyber incident. And you can download the pack at cyberscotland.com and then follow the links to incident response. So, David, as I said earlier, thanks very much for coming along today. So, do you just want to introduce yourself, tell me a bit about the NCC Group in Scotland, about your team and the, the services you can offer businesses in Scotland?
1: Yeah, sure. So, David Brown, obviously, a senior, I'm a senior incident response uh, consultant uh, for NCC Group, um, where I've been for the last two years. Prior to that, um, a little bit like yourself, I guess, Mike, I was a, a serving police officer for Police Scotland, where I spent 18 years the last seven of which was in uh, cybercrime. I've got a Master's in Digital Forensics from Edinburgh Napier and I'm a fully accredited member of the Chartered Institute of Information Security. In terms of NCC Group, NCC are a global cyber security business with um, focus of software resilience and cybersecurity. We're based in Manchester. We've got offices in Scotland and across across the world. I guess we cover a kind of truly global footprint and um, we're one of the largest dedicated cybersecurity businesses in the world today. You know, in respect of IR, we We've got one of the largest pure play IR teams in the United Kingdom. And what I mean by pure play is, you know, we're solely focused on delivering incident response uh, for clients. So, whilst we've got a team who've got a pretty wide skill set from, you know, Python engineers through to risk advisory, plenty of skills, the majority of that work perhaps sits in other areas of our business, allowing our team purely to focus on helping. Those who have been affected by a cyber incident. I guess we work with clients of all shapes and sizes. Uh, I think you know we're, we're so big, a lot of people might think we only work with you know, enterprise solutions, but we do. We work with companies with only a couple of members of staff, right through to you know major um, FTSE 100 clients uh, with kind of global corporations Uh, but what i would say is we don't have any bias towards one one particular area we work with public private sectors and we work with third party sector organization as well i think just in terms of actually scotland obviously we're a we're a partner with yourselves here at the cyber and fraud center we're on your ir cadre we're also a level one member of the ncsc's uh, cyber incident response scheme Um, we've obviously worked with yourselves we've got a long history of working with the scottish government
0: and we're also a strategic partner of FinTech Scotland. That's brilliant, David. Thanks very much for that. So I was going to ask actually later on in terms of the businesses that you service or the the businesses that you support. You mentioned from small businesses right up to to enterprise. So 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 small business. NCC do support small businesses also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, we've got a we've got a fully functioning twenty four seven sock um, socks across the world. But our, our main sock in the UK is based in Leeds, and we um, have a an on-call cadre for our own IR team which is 24 hours and we will take and help uh, anyone who's been subject of a cyber incident uh, regardless of the size of the organization. Obviously we work with FinTech Scotland and that space particularly has a has a collective of uh, organizations some of which have only got two three four people others have hundreds or maybe perhaps even thousands of staff members so the yeah, INCC group traditionally will help uh, any any customer or any client or any member of the public who's who's had that uh, their organization or their business has been subjected to a cyber incident
0: right Uh, so to give the listeners an idea of just how uh, a ir process plays out i've already discussed the cyber incident response cadre the uh, incident response line so how would you describe the process once you were on board or had been deployed
1: yeah so i guess um, perhaps maybe go through the ir process in terms of what that looks like and then maybe some key takeaways and then perhaps we can touch on the expectation of that kind of deployment from a business side uh, after that. So I guess there's a couple of models out there that are probably quite well-known to anyone in the industry. Probably the most common would be the NIST the NIST model. Um, uh, and then you've got the Sands Institute who work with the kind of soul models. Uh, both well-defined and, in essence, they've got kind of four key phases uh, are phases uh, really preparation, detection and analysis, containment and eradication, and then we've got post-incident recovery. And what is really key in that last one is learning lessons from that incident and how that circular process feeds back into that organisation's preparation. You know, preparation, I guess, revolves mainly around organisations and, you know, cyber incident response plans or playbooks, what they may choose to have both or, or one or the other. Ultimately, that helps them prevent and respond to incidents. Like I said already that's a really important process and it's circular with that whole lessons learned piece at the end and how that feeds back into the preparation stage following an incident. You know questions that are really key in that space is you know who will run an incident regardless of the size of your organisation you need to have an individual who will be able to take on the responsibility of leading that Cyber incident, whatever that may be, you need to have defined roles. These should be outlined in your incident response plan, um, and you need to really be clear
0: to allow uh, you to respond effectively. So, so would these respond? I mean, is, is this like a, an incident response team that you're? Would would there be a team set up, or you say is this just individuals who who understand the roles within the within the process?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a bit of both, I guess, to be honest with you. But I mean, if you had a, a a lot of organisations will have business resilience plans and what they would do in an incident which was maybe around a building fire or whatever that may be. This should be no different. You know, no. We should be able to feed in through the plan and identify how an incident should run so you would have you know, maybe a gold commander, if you like, and I'm not saying small businesses are in a position to have that, but someone who can run with the incident, make decisions, understand what needs to be done around, you know, depends what's been taken. If you've lost private, uh, personally identifiable information, it might be that you need to inform the ICO. What are the regulations around that notification? Who do you have to support you? Do you contact uh, the Cyber and Fraud Centre? Do you contact Police Scotland? Do you contact NCC Group? And these are these are the areas of individuals that that person really needs to focus focus on. You know, I think from my experience and probably many people's experience in the industry, plans are often found to be underdeveloped, you know, if they even exist at all, to be honest. And we know from trends in the industry that the times taken to resolve incidents now are growing, and attacks are actually increasing in severity. And a plan actually helps you reduce the time an attacker has inside your environment. And I honestly can't stress enough the importance of ha- importance of having mature plans
0: and playbooks. I was going to say just in terms of, in terms of the human side of it as well. As I mean, you all have dealt with loads of incidents now in NCC, but also in the police. And thinking back to to, to a few was some that played out better than others. Was within the company or within these these group of people who who had these was was understanding escalation, and understanding who can make the right decisions. The ones, especially in re- in relation to ransomware incidents, were ones where it had reached a person. Who could make the right decisions and who could take the right steps to possibly, you know, to to go offline or to shut things down? But it had to go to the person that could make these decisions, rather than going round and round with people not really understanding what their what their role was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think if we, if you t- if you take that as a kind of detection analysis phase of the of the model, you know, has an incident occurred? What's the severity? What type of incident is it, and what impact has it got on you and your organisation? You know, I think one thing. Um, that really sticks out to me personally from my time in the police is that kind of golden hour got a bit of a background in kind of emergency and resilience planning and that first hour is massive it's a bit of a policing term I guess just in terms of you know don't panic don't make knee-jerk reactions but if you, if you replicate it, that into the cyberspace you know what can you do in that in that critical minute when you realize there's an attack on your system or you're told there's something not Not right, you know, would you just pull the plug? And we do see it so many times. When you pull the plug, you lose volatile uh, evidence, you lose the ability to collect information that might be able to benefit you when you're trying to understand how the attacker actually got into your system, why this has happened. So, you know, I guess some key thoughts around the early stage of an attack are definitely don't panic and don't make those knee-jerk reactions. Isolate, don't don't shut down, you know, take away your network connections, remove it from the internet seek help, obtain a copy of the the sample if you can. So if you see a file that's running in your estate that's possibly the cause of this, you you want to try and capture that. You know, you you want to work to identify what that malware is. And what I would say is, you know, if you don't have the skill set in your environment or in your organisation to do that, then you need to seek help from a third party. Now, whether that's through, you know, cyber insurance or whether that's through, you know, uh, a third party... Provider like NCC Group or anyone else in the the IR cadre that is available through the Cyber and Fraud Centre, um, or, or alternatively perhaps you have an incident response retainer, which are which are now popular And that. Yeah. Against the question there is. Yeah, and you hear that a lot in the industry at the minute as cyber insurance or incident response. And maybe we can touch
0: on that if we've got time towards the end, you know. Yeah, uh, just when well, we're talking about deployment there and, and you, you coming on board or IR or, or coming on board, how how do you deploy or how would you, uh, is, is this a physical deploy or, is, or mostly is it a remotely or how does that play out?
1: Yeah, so it's, it, it very much varies, I guess. Um, we have the ability to deploy anywhere in the world it, at fairly quick, at fairly quick pace, you know. If we take it to Scotland or the US, we've got consult the UK. Sorry, we've got consultants all over all over the country. Our ability to de- deploy is quite quick. What I would say is, you know, and and it's not really related to COVID, but technology allows us to manage and deal with. Uh, incidents remotely and I would say that probably 95% of all jobs that we do now are done remotely so we would uh, work with the company to uh, allow us to take forensic images or forensic collections in some instances depending on the incident we would deploy or try to deploy maybe an endpoint detection response tool to your environment so we could get a bit of a better visibility of what was going on but yeah I mean in short we can do either It's really down to the client. Some clients will really need on-site that kind of hand-holding period where maybe they just don't have the experience or anyone there to provide what we would need. And in that case, absolutely, we would deploy on-site. But the majority of people we work with have got some form of IT person behind them who would be able to follow our guides to get us the collections we need to allow us to then do our work. you
0: know? Right, because I think I think there's a worry or, or there's the impression, you know, you get a cyber company, I think it's even just the word cyber, but you get a company involved in uh, cyber-related uh, work that they're going to be coming in, they're going to be taking laptops or taking desktops away, there's going to be complete havoc to the company. And there you're saying that, you know, with a, a wee bit work along with an IT company, you can deploy and there's very little disruption to to the company itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what 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 really is key there from that process I think is You know, it doesn't matter who the organisation is. There's there's mechanisms to allow us to keep that as... Everyone understands that you're going through a a tough period. Um, Some people's livelihoods are at stake. Everyone gets that. One of the true unique aspects of an incident response consultant is the soft skills behind. It's not just, you know, that technical element. That's a huge factor, obviously, but um, soft skills are vitally important. And, you know, I suppose from my experience... Coming from the police, you know, we, we have our police officers naturally work with people every day, every day from different walks of life. So you kind of build up that that rapport and it's important that you do do that. And you there, there is absolutely some really challenging situations. Um, and it's just about that kind of empathy of the situation and how you manage that. But I, I don't think I've certainly not experienced a situation that we couldn't manage either that it was on site or if it was remote, and it's working with the the people to make sure, you know, you show exactly a full understanding of what it is that they're going through, and explain clearly what it is we're trying to achieve at the other side, I mean, you should always try and do some basic analysis to try and understand what the malware is, you know, if the step is out your remit, and you don't have the skills, and a lot of these smaller businesses, small SMEs won't have the skill set to do that, seek third-party assistance, you know, you've got, might not have the ability to pay for services, but there is options if through here, you know, come to the cyber and fraud centre who'll be able to point you in and give you some advice initially around triage and then point you in the direction of a, a third party who will be able to give you some further advice. There's never a guarantee that it'll lead to you know paid work or it will cost you tens of thousands of pounds to actually you know, engage their services. Seek the advice in the first instance. There is some other options out there around free public resources, but they come with some risks. Um, so I would always reach out to a, a provider or your cyber insurance company or if you've got an IR retainer uh, or utilise the free services that are available through through the Cyber and Fraud Centre and then just understand what your options are. But definitely don't panic. Isolate your network. Take a step back and try and understand it. But your cyber, your incident response plan should be the key to this. It's about making them mature, getting them in a place that you understand each line-by-line line process that you need to take when you've been subject to an incident.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a live document. It's not something that gets stuck away on a shelf. If you think just the bigger companies, for example, staff turnaround, et cetera, these really need to be constantly worked on and, and, and being looked at.
1: Yeah, absolutely, they should be. They should be fluid and kept up to date as often as possible. And test test them regularly. Test your own organisation regularly. A lot of people look to pen tests as, as a thing and offensive security is amazing and it will give you a real insight but sometimes in my experience i see organizations getting absolutely smashed by a pen tester when there's been nothing done in the past so they do expose the vulnerabilities but then sometimes you end up with a list as long as your arm of things that you just don't have the time or the resources to remediate. So there is other options out there from many of the IR, um, the IR providers that will focus on proactive assessments, you know, so you do some vulnerability scanning. You could look at doing some threat assessments, just understanding what is actually vulnerable in your environment. Get that in a good place and then look to do a pen test and that regular testing alongside reviewing your plans, look at maybe doing tabletop exercises or incident simulations. Again, again, just get the right people round the table. Get these people who might be playing that goal commander, you know, to make those decisions, understanding what they need to do around the regulatory bodies such as Police Scotland or the ICO, and you know, just build out that knowledge. And I get that that can be really difficult for some small businesses, but I think the most important thing here, and you hear it every day now, it's it's not it's not if, it's not if you when you get it's not if you're going to get a cyber attack. It's when. You know, yes. And even massive organisations who spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on defensive uh, tactics and staffing and mm, solutions, tooling, they still feel the same thing. It's when, not if, but it's how you respond.
0: So David, in terms of companies themselves, are there any mistakes or any more common mistakes that companies are making that you see once, you, once you've been deployed?
1: Yeah, I guess, um, I, I guess there's a pattern in what we see. We see... You know, if we're doing a, if we're doing reports, quite often we've got a bank a, a recommendations that are more often than not the same recommendations we're putting in there. You know, so things like two-factor authentications not is not applied uh, to external services. The tooling no kind of log aggregation. They're using default. Login values. So then, what happens there is the collection of the data is minimal. So when a company or organisation SME gets or is subject to a cyber attack, it's co- it can be really challenging to then actually tell them, you know, this is this is where initial access was. This was the computer that was targeted, and this is how they got in. So I mean, th- that's a real challenge. But in terms of mistakes, what we, what we often see is maybe maybe not so much from a kind of an SME perspective, maybe more collectively across the board but what we do see is lots of tools in place with you know an expectation that the tools are the silver bullet and a lot of companies will rely on the tool and I've seen some great examples uh, where you know they pay a lot of money for some really expensive tooling that are alerting but nobody's actually monitoring the alerts and um, you know you can have all the tools you like but if they're not looked at and managed properly then they're completely
0: ineffective Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's a major problem we had an event and david from Adharma was there and he made a good point similar to what you're saying you know st- stop buying uh, security software and start buying s- uh, software that's secure absolutely instead of continually adding to your you know your software with more things that do x y and z you probably don't need the majority of them so yeah i thought that was a really good a really good way of putting that
1: yes i mean it's a great point but as i say the amount of time we've seen tooling deployed and it has identified the compromise but there is so much other tooling in place or they're not configured properly to block alerts you know or they're just not being reviewed and i guess i guess the other there is a couple of other areas you know we've got backups as a good example quite often you see backups are connected you know to the network so as soon as someone deploys ransomware to your network it's going across whatever a network share it's picking up everything and it's wiping out the backups
0: it's an easy target yeah I mean uh, I was going to say in terms of backups as well I mean you mentioned testing and and, you know testing your systems and testing your processes some of the jobs over the last few years realise that I don't think companies realise sometimes where their backups are how long it's going to take them to get back online, you know who it is that's storing them, uh, and just yeah, that's one yeah one problems I definitely saw was in relation to backups. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think the other one as well is a lot of people, and you see this time and time again as well. A lot of people will restore, and that's probably really does apply to the SMEs. You know, they they get something, something goes wrong, and they just go back go, go, go to a backup pick a date and time go back to a backup restore it don't do any analysis and actually the dwell time of the threat actor was three months and they've gone to a backup one month down the line and actually the threat actor's got persistence through you know a, a command and control beacon and suddenly they've spent you know whatever 80 man hours maybe longer three people ten grand and suddenly the whole system's brought back down again and it's actually causing more reputational damage you've got more out, more outage and it's costing you more money to resolve. You know, so I think it's really important. I can't stress analysis enough. You know, I think you need to understand what's happened and make sure you get the support so that you don't get targeted again. I suppose the last wee one is misconfiguration. I think with the move to the cloud, all the tooling that we're now seeing and, the, and you know, kind of security tooling a bit like what David had touched on, misconfiguration really quite often it results you know data leaks or service outages or account takeovers it's just not configured properly you've got conditional access rules for maybe your microsoft 365 stuff that aren't actually doing anything so you know it's look it's it's a real challenge Mm -hmm. i'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination but seek help you know Go to companies like NCC Group, like Adharma. All these organisations will do cyber security reviews. They'll be able to review your Microsoft 365. Go in there, ask them for a quote. Work out what they can actually do for you. You'll get some free advice along the way. Um, Utilise that experience. Use the use what the opportunities that you have around, um, you know, the Cyber and Fraud Centre, and that that will make you. Uh, more secure, give you more information and ultimately lead to a stronger secu- kind of security posture for your environment and your organisation.
0: Yeah, I mean, we do have our trusted partners here at the Cyber and Fraud Centre as well who are able to deliver on cyber essentials. I think, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, and you've read about this in the press. It's about, you know, especially in startups as well is not, not considering cyber security as an afterthought. It's, it should be up there first and foremost along with, with all the processes there are with, with, with setting up a business. I think one of the
1: things is it's... It's easy to say, that. I really like the analogy, but if you move into a new office and... Well, look at the cost you know, of heating it now. Well, never mind the heating, but <laughs> if you move into a new office, you've got a regulatory requirement to have a fire safety plan. You know, you need to have an evacuation plan, you need to test it. So why should it be any different with cyber? You put all of your requirement, all of your organisation is now ran by computers, operated by individuals. Human error is a real problem. You're never going to stamp that out. You can do as much training as you want, but the cyber, um, the threat actors are going to get smarter and wiser and always find a way to get past someone. You can do all the phishing training you want. I mean, I'm not saying don't do that. That's a, that's a really valuable technique and something that you should be delivering, but the threat actors will continue to get smarter and they'll find vulnerabilities and they'll find ways in It's about being as smart and as prepared as you possibly can be. And by having an IR plan, which sits alongside your fire fire evacuation plan, it it should be compulsory now, in my opinion. I'm not saying it should be regulated or there should be a law saying it needs to
0: be there, but I think it should be as important. Well, given the amount of personal information that that companies are storing now, yeah, that could be an angle that we're moving towards. Move across on by maybe best practice or, or, or some some tips essentially do you have any best practice ideas you could share
1: yeah well, I think I think there's a couple of main main points you know do, do your homework understand what you've actually got in place you know if you don't if you don't know what you've got then you're never going to be able to use it and understand it understand how they work you know so if you've got dark trace or a, an EDR solution understand how those operate and make sure the alerting is in place to allow you to give you a chance to prevent an incident happen and understand also where they fail. Remember, there is absolutely no silver bullet. You know, and I think just in terms of some other bits and pieces, you know, configure, do a configuration, regularly review your configuration of your security controls. Hardening of your defences, you know, patch management is a massive thing. We often see vulnerabilities that have been, I mean, you see it yourself Patch Tuesday from Microsoft, maybe, I think last week there was three zero days pushed out. But I think there was 95 uh, vulnerabilities or patches identified from Microsoft alone. I and mean, that doesn't cover all the other software businesses out there. Manage Engine have recently had an, ex- a, a, an exploit vulnerability, um, as have many others. The ESXi stuff, which has been kicking around of late. You know, patch management in any organization is is critical. We often see companies running Windows 2008 no longer supported 2012 runs out in October this year you know some forethought just as to what you actually have and how you can protect it is vital and a patch management policy whether that's once a week once a month make sure that you have your patching in place regularly do AV scans across your environment you know if that's a an EDR tool that you've got in your environment and it's doing it naturally maybe every hour it will flag but then you need to be able to monitor that and understand the alert or if it's just a you know, basic AV, you know, make sure it's scanning regularly and someone is triaging anything it finds. I've, I've mentioned it already, but do some if, do some regular testing, whether that's offensive security testing, vulnerability scanning, proactive threat assessments, like I've touched on. Ensure all your detections are logged and refused, uh, reviewed. Like I said, again, a lot of people we see, a lot of organizations we see have standard 20 megabyte security event logs in Windows. If that's on a busy server they'll be overwritten within an hour maybe less sometimes um, and that really restricts what any instant responder or any forensic expert can actually tell you about your your system yes there is other artifacts that we'll go to but we really want to see who's logged in who's logged off all, all these various bits and pieces that are in those event logs AV configure your antivirus to quarantine rather than delete. Quarantine will put the file into a safe space. It would allow a forensic a forensic a forensic analyst to go in and capture the piece of uh, malware that's been tried to be deployed, capture it, and then push it into a sandbox and perhaps run some analysis, maybe do some revenge, reverse engineering and understand exactly what it would do. If you clean it, it will remove it entirely. We'll no longer get access to that. So there's ways around configuring your AV. Ensure your security controls have tamper protection. We see it time and time again. Tamper protection can be turned on. It's not particularly challenging to do. It will prevent any unauthorised changes. Reduce your attack surface. Get rid of unwanted software. Now, there is one thing I see every time I look at someone else's estate. We see TeamViewer. We see AnyDesk. We see a Terra splash top installed by a user who, you know, wants to talk to a friend or, you know, whatever. They've, They've installed it for whatever reason. But threat actors will try and live off the land. They'll try and live with the the tools that are in place on a device. Some some organizations within IT will roll out sysinternals internals tools, so PSexec or you know Procdump or you know any of these. We see these tools all the time. And then if they, if they're already on your system and a threat actor goes to use them, it might be that your A V or your EDR won't pick it up because it's already baselined to the fact that it's existing and You're missing it, so they're getting free reign in your system. You well, know, I've, so. I've
0: been, I was taking notes, I was also, you know, in terms of unwanted software, is legacy software as well. You know, we, we used to use that, we don't use it now, but we'll, we'll just keep a hold. Of, you know, the just because uh, no one's taken the decision that listen, we need to get rid of that, it's unsupported, it's out of date. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I think just, you know, use
1: use Microsoft's App blocker, use other app blocking tools. I mean, the number of times I see Tor browser on a on an enterprise network is remarkable. I mean, block people using these tools. I get it; they're at work. They need their own downtime. There can be exceptions, but if it's a if it's the exception of a you know an employee over you know someone bringing down your entire network, you know everyone's got their own mobile phones or you know their own iPads put communal ipads in place do not let them use enterprise solutions to be using software that going to place your environment at risk
0: so in terms of smes i mean that, that there's a lot there's a lot of content there i mean is that is that doable for smes all that you know that that's or would essentially be relying on maybe managed service providers or managed security service providers to, to support businesses again i mean that almost goes back to getting set up correctly in the first place doesn't it yeah
1: absolutely and you know I, i've i've worked with a couple of msps in scotland there's some there's some great some great people out there and your bigger bigger providers will also offer that kind of managed service i guess you know but i think smes have a real challenge it's, it's they've obviously got limited staff numbers they're maybe trying to grow their business it, it's a challenge there's there's no question i mean we've seen large organisations who've got small it numbers struggle with this stuff and i don't expect smes but I think what you can do is prepare yourself as best you can. You can probably narrow down your security tooling you've got in place to a one solution, or look to an MSP who can manage your solutions for you. And then perhaps the MSPs or MSSPs will then have relationships with IR providers. You know, so it might be that they've got a they've got a retained service with. NCC group for example so you've got an MSP who's managing your your infrastructure and if something goes terribly wrong that's out with the MSSP they can then deploy an IR solution on your behalf or yeah.
0: Or, or alongside About you relationships, say. I say. Yeah, yeah, relationships yeah relationships are huge and at and the smaller the business they, they matter more you know yeah. uh, I just want to finish off on one thing I mean this is uh, I, you know I've got friends who have got businesses and and bizarre I mean i you know start start banging the cyber drum now and again and I've mentioned it to a good few of them and and they have come out with that that, that one line listen my you don't, don't don't worry I've got cyber insurance you know, it's almost like a one-stop shop, and listen, I'm going to be absolutely fine. So, and you mentioned in your introduction actually about retainers, and 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 obviously I'm touching on insurance now. What what uh, where where does that sit, or where do you where's what are your thoughts on insurance or or retainers?
1: Yeah, I think I think cyber insurance right now is a is a very it's a very political one almost, isn't it? There's lots going on in that space around what will and what won't cyber insurers cover and I think just having you know been on a couple of panels and spoken with a couple of insurance companies you can see there's a a real reliance on them pushing companies now to do certain things before they'll underwrite their service you know and whether that's you need to show what login you've got in place you need to have a certain amount of baseline security tools and be able to prove that to the business. Now I'm not saying for any any you know any stretch of the imagination that um, cyber insurance is not something you could should consider because what cyber insurance will offer it will offer 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 you that legal assistance the privacy stuff at the other side if you've you've had data stolen uh, it'll also offer you access to an IR an IR company uh, in most cases you know so if you've if you've got a cyber insurance these you it's a collective bunch of services providing you meet the criteria but naturally with the amount of ransomware that's been going on I think premiums have have risen exponentially and one of the other options you could look at would be a, a, an incident response retainer with a company like NCC Adharma, they all, they all 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 the high all the higher bigger kind of enterprise IR companies now offer that service where you've got access twenty four hours a day to a cyber cyber incident response company um, who can offer um, that immediate service. Um, what I would say as well is we we also have access to and if you if you if you're a retained client with NCC for example you've got access to our privacy specialists our kind of gold team specialists who can offer you that uh, advice. It's a difficult one because I think you know I think cyber insurance definitely has a space and something to offer and it gives you a full collective service but it's certainly quite a it's quite a topical thing at the moment um, around the cost and, and how many hoops you might have to jump through to get to get through the underwriters and but but ultimately what they're doing is they want to make sure you're in a position that you're not a risk. So you want yeah. they want to get you as secure as possible when they take you on
0: board. And I absolutely get that. And I think yeah. if there was ever a time to read the small print I think absolutely I think it's now David we have covered a lot of topics there there's a lot to digest and take in there for, for me it's just a, a huge thanks on behalf of the Cyber and Fraud Centre for uh, taking time today to come in to to give us an insight into incident response from from, from your side thanks Mike We will be coming back again with a second incident response podcast. We're hopefully going to be speaking to a victim in the next few weeks who will give us an insight just how how that played out. So thanks very much for listening today to the Cyber Scotland podcast and bye for now.